right. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Hear these words of our Father. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it is uh, active and rich and continues to transform uh, the individual lives of people. And so, Lord, I'm asking for your Holy Spirit to be present this morning, uh, to meet us where we are, uh, to soften our hearts, to open them up so that we might see you for who you are. Um, Father, I pray against any distractions here this morning. Uh, it's a new year. There's so much that's happening and there's so much that's running through our minds and our hearts. And so I ask that you would make us still. That we would be quiet before you. And that your word would be uh, so loud and clear that we are almost left with no choice but to engage it. Whether we believe it or not, may we be forced to engage it, to, to ask questions of it. And so, Lord, it's to that end that I ask that you would stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say and do. May the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May they be a sweet fragrance to you. Father, we love you, we praise you, and would you show us through your very word our desperate need for you. In Jesus' beautiful name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let let me give some context to where we're about to go. Uh, The text this morning basically talks about who we are. And when I say we, I mean the church, those who have crossed the line of faith, those who believe in Jesus and then gather together to be called the church. Jesus is now unpacking to those listening to say, listen, this is who you are. If you were to be described with two words, this is who you are. You are salt and light. And so he starts with verse 13 by saying, you are the salt of the earth. But let me pause here. He says, you are. Don't miss that. It's incredibly important. He says, you are. Not you will become or you should be. No, no, no. You are. That if you are a Christian, this is your positional standing. That you are now perfect in Christ. We covered this last week. When we looked at Psalm 1. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the individual who finds their identity in Christ. And so it's from that place that, that Jesus now can say, you are. In fact, uh, these, these two words, salt and light, they flow out of what Catherine read in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1 to 12. The Beatitudes, these are the characteristics of someone who calls themselves a Christian. And so from those characteristics, then this is what we are to do. This is how the world should look to us as the church and go, yep, salt and light, I see it. 
I see it. It's not something that they just say about themselves, but it's, but it's how we interact with those around us. You are. You are. This is your positional standing in Christ. But he says, you are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. Now to really understand where Jesus is going with this, uh, we, we have to unpack what salt meant in those days. We have to understand the value of salt in those days. And I think we still value salt today, but not as much. Not as much. Salt is just that thing that we put over our food. But in Jesus' day, it had so much meaning. And so we have to enter into that. I've heard so many interpretations of this passage, many of them correct. Unpacking what is salt, how was salt used, and then the implications of that when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth. And so I'll just, I'll maybe share three, three uses of salt in Jesus' time. The first one is uh, salt was used as a, a preservative. It was used to preserve things. See, back in the day, they didn't have the luxuries of a fridge. You can store your meat in a deep freezer. They didn't have that. And so they would use salt to preserve it. It would last longer. It would keep it from decaying. They would do the same thing with bodies. Once someone has died and maybe they need to transport it somewhere, they would cover it with salt to keep it from decaying. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, he says, listen, church, those who are in Christ, in this world, as you interact and engage with it, in all the brokenness that we find here, all the pain, all the evil, this is a decaying world. I don't have to labor on this. Just just buy a newspaper. Turn on the news. And so Jesus says, church, I'm sending you in so that you can preserve it, that you can keep it from from entering into further brokenness. Keep it from decaying. I need you to preserve it. I, I need you to enter in with hope. People are in desperate need of hope. And so because you are the salt of the earth, that is what you're to do. You're to enter into those broken spaces and bring hope. When everyone is like, you know what, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the city, I'm leaving the country, I'm leaving the continent because there's no hope. The church comes in and says, no, we are salt. We are salt. We're to keep it from decaying. But another use for salt is that it was a, a, an antiseptic. Sometimes we do that today in in the uh, developing countries. They still use salt as an antiseptic. When you have a wound, when you've cut yourself, they'll they'll put salt in the wound to help you heal. And so Jesus says that you are salt. You are to enter into those spaces and bring healing. Bring healing. But here's the thing about salt. If you've ever put salt on a wound... Man, it stings. It hurts. Any antiseptic, it, it hurts. You're almost like, man, I, 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 you know what? Let's think about it. Maybe I don't need it. Maybe we don't need to put it on. I think I'll be okay. 
because the pain is unbearable. But any doctor will tell you, you need that. I wouldn't be a good doctor if I let you leave the hospital without putting on that antiseptic. And so when we enter into these places that are in desperate need of healing, people don't want it because it hurts. The truth hurts. Now, I'm not saying that we should enter in like idiots. No, no, we're to enter with truth wrapped in love, but the truth hurts. When I argue with my wife, I don't know why you guys are laughing. I I feel like, you know what, man, I just don't want to continue with this conversation. Because you're wrong, clearly. So I phone up some of my buddies and I'm like, can you believe my wife? Like, unbelievable. And then they rub some salt. And they say, listen, brother, here's the truth. You've got to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And what did Christ do? He initiated. He initiated. We were wrong, but he initiated. And so I am to initiate. And that hurts. I don't want to hear that because I don't want to do it. My, my pride is just so big. It's like, I, I, man, no, I don't want to hear that. So I hang up and I call another friend. Says the same thing. Because they're being salt. They're being salt to the brokenness, to to this world that is in desperate need of healing. Rooted, I'm telling you, as we enter into the broken spaces of Pretoria, as we we pour out truth, not our truth, Jesus' truth, people are going to push back. They don't want it. They don't want it. Even though sometimes they know that that is what they need to do, they're going to push against it because they know in the beginning it hurts. But over time, it brings healing. The third one, which, to be honest, I believe is where Jesus was going with all of this. It doesn't mean that the others aren't true, but this is where he wanted to land the plane. When we think about salt, salt is used to add flavor. Salt is used to add flavor. If you go to Tribeca, you're fortunate enough to go there and uh, purchase yourself the what I've now known as spiritual ribs, because I believe they have been blessed by Jesus. As they fall off the bone, and as you engage with those, you don't just eat, you engage with those ribs. You never, ever, ever, ever need to grab some salt and go, I need to put salt on this. Because it comes already seasoned. Beautifully seasoned. That's what gives it its flavor. And so when, when Jesus says that you are the salt of the earth, he says you are to give flavor in this world. Not your own, because your flavor is not good. It is not good. But we're to bring the flavor that Jesus brings to the world. You are the salt of the earth. The salt of the earth. You're giving people a a taste, a, a small taste of what heaven is to be like. The kingdom that is coming. That's what Jesus was doing. Everywhere he went, he kept saying that the kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God is near. 
And as he did things, he was giving people a taste as he was doing miracles and engaging with people and showing love and compassion and forgiveness. He was giving people a taste of the kingdom. And so Jesus says, church, you are the salt of the earth. You are to give people a taste of the kingdom. It's like a trailer attraction. I use this illustration a lot. My wife and I, whenever we get to go to movies, and it's not as often as we used to, uh, hashtag we need babysitters. Um, I love getting there super early. My wife hates it. I love it because I get to sit and, and watch some of the trailers. I said, well, watch a few, and then I'll, I'll turn to her after the end of a trailer, and I'll be like, mm, nah, I'm not going to watch it. Not interested. And then another one comes on, and it's like, we're definitely going to see that one. It's a snippet. They give us, what, a minute, two minutes of a two-hour movie, but it's enough for us to go, I want in. I want to go see that. Is that us? Church, is that us? As salt to the earth, are we giving people a taste of what the kingdom of God is like? Or are people just going, "Mm, not interested? Not interested. I mean, Jesus, he says it here, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? How will its saltiness be restored? I had to reach out to... um, those much cleverer than I am, uh, those in the PhD world, uh, to try to understand, uh, well, one, can salt lose its saltiness? Can it lose its taste? And I was told, no. Salt cannot lose its taste. It is impossible. Salt is made of sodium and chloride. Big words. Words that I left long ago in grade 10. But they are made of sodium and chloride. They cannot, they cannot lose their saltiness. Salt cannot lose its saltiness. It cannot lose its taste. And so when Jesus says, but if salt has lost its taste, it's, uh, if you knew what I now know, I should be able to go, wait, Jesus, that, that can't happen. That, that can't happen. Scientifically, that can't happen. So what does that mean? What is Jesus referring to then? I believe he's saying that sometimes we can be so diluted, so diluted, that the strength of our witness, of our influence, is just no longer there. Uh, See, I don't believe he's talking about losing your salvation. That's not what he's talking about, because because salt can't lose its taste. So he's not talking about salvation, because once you're saved, you're saved, but you can lose influence. You can be so diluted that it's, mm, it's there, but not enough to have an impact. And how does that happen? It's when, when we enter into sin and we just kind of camp out there. We show up on a Sunday, but then during the week we're doing whatever it is that we want. Sleeping around, getting drunk pursuing all these things, hoping to find life in them, so much so that if you were to tell someone at your place of work, hey, hold on, I'm a Christian, they'd be like, you're a what? Someone who doesn't know Jesus saying, do you even know what that means? Because you do the very same things that we do, and I don't call myself a Christian. 
because you're so diluted. You're so diluted that you've, you've, in a sense, lost your saltiness. But notice what Jesus says about those. He says, It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It is of no good. Jesus says, Okay, yes, you're saved, but I, I can't use you. I can't use you. And so we will throw you out or we'll use you to make roads. That's what they used. So, so salt that wasn't valuable, that, that couldn't be sold was then used to make roads. The Romans would use it and they would trample on it and walk on it over and over and over again and it would just become a road. That's it. And so Jesus is he's saying to us, church, rooted fellowship, you've got to be salt. You've got to be salt. Don't dilute yourself. Keep the flavor. This world desperately needs a taste of of the kingdom. We are salt. Now he transitions to the next word. He says, verse 14, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Now, I'm going to say it because I don't know if some people might end up going there thinking that, oh, wait, Jesus says that he's the light of the world. And then he says, I am the light of the world. So does that mean I am the light of the world the same way that Jesus is the light of the world? Well, yes and no. Yes, in that you don't save people. Well, no, no. No, in that you don't save people. You don't save people. Jesus does that. But that he invites you in to be a part of his mission as he continues to save people. That is how you are the light of the world. He invites you to be a part of something that he is already doing. That is who you are. You are the light of the world. Now what does light do? It illuminates. It reveals. This world is living in darkness. For 19 years of my life, I lived in darkness. I was there for so long. I say this over and over again because I want you to enter into this space. I want you to hear what I'm saying. I lived there for so long that my eyes just adjusted to the darkness. I thought, man, I was having the time of my life. Not realizing that I was living in darkness. And so I needed the light of Jesus to come and reveal that to me. The world needs that. The world needs Jesus' light. And so Jesus says, I'm inviting you in to be a part of what I'm doing in Pretoria, in South Africa, on the continent of Africa. But this is how Jesus sets us up. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. See, back in the day, uh, big cities were built on a hill. Why? So that everyone would see them. It's simple. It's obvious. It's so that everyone could see them. If I'm coming from far, I could see, well, there, there is my destination. There is where I am going. There is where I want to be. It's a city on a hill. And so if the light is shining, then it's clear for me to see those who are on their way there. Maybe at, at night, 
when it's dark around me and I'm wondering, am I ever going to get there? Oh, wait, there is hope because I can see the city on a hill with its light shining. There is where I want to be. But even during the day, see, most of these cities were were built um, in in limestone. And so limestone, if you shine light on limestone, it just kind of illuminates. And so again, during the day, people would see, like, that's where I need to go. It's that city on a hill. Because you are the light of the world. But another thing about a city, here's another reason why it was built on a hill. Because they could always see the enemy approaching. It was a great place to be because you could always see the enemy approaching. It was a place of safety, a place of refuge. Every time the enemy was coming, you could see from a mile away and you could prepare yourself. You could be ready. So Jesus says, you're a city on a hill. Let your light shine to those who are in desperate need of a savior. And he says something that's kind of confusing in verse 15. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. I had to think deep there. I'm not a smart man. So I had to think really, really deep there. I was like, okay, I get um, a light to the world. We're a city on a hill. And so there they are those living in darkness who are in desperate need of a savior, desperate need of the light. And so that's why we're on a hill. But then he's like, now there's a light in the house. And I thought to myself, now hold on, if a light to the world is salvation, it's it's those who need Jesus, but if you're in the house, then, then why do I need the light? I'm already in the house. I'm already in the place of safety. So, so Jesus, why, why even say this? Why even mention this? What are you talking about? See, I believe what what Jesus was, was referring to is, is yes, there's a, a light to the world, uh, salvation. But just because you're saved doesn't mean that you don't need sanctification. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you don't need sanctification. To be, to be sanctified is, is this ongoing change. Yes, my positional standing is in Jesus Christ. I am perfect in Him. But every day I need to live out of that perfection. And that's a struggle. And if you don't think that about yourself, if you're married, ask your spouse. (laughs) Ask your friends. Because you might think, man, but I'm perfect. What are you going on about? You got some issues. You got some issues. And so I I may be saved, but there's still uh, areas in my heart that are dark and they need the light to shine on them, to reveal them. I need you guys to do that. That is why I say week in, week out, we are uniquely designed for community. We need one another. I need you to shine your light in the areas of of darkness in my own heart where pride lives, where lust lives. And I could give so many illustrations about what that could look like for, for, for us, for Rooted Fellowship. But let me be specific. Let me be specific. Because as a transcultural community, as a a diverse community, we can so easily, so easily make our preferences prejudices. 
Did did y'all hear that? We can so quickly make our preferences, because there's lots here. There's lots here. When you talk about diversity, there's tons of preferences. It's okay to have them. But you can so quickly make them prejudices. I see that happening over and over and over again. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to be preaching about this, what it means to be a transcultural community. But, <clears throat> but let me jump in here real quick. Let me give you a snippet, okay? And then you can decide whether you want to come back for it or not. I hear, I hear too many of my white brothers and sisters talk about this idea of community with, with great passivity. We're very passive about it. And so I'll hear things like this. Not all, not all, but some. I'll hear them go, you know what? Yeah, we should have diversity. I'm for it. Let's just preach the gospel and we'll kind of see what happens. We'll kind of see what happens. And so we just, we remain passive about it. And then I go, but, but I don't see that in the Bible. I don't see that with Jesus. He was incredibly intentional. Look, it's a snippet, but you guys asked for it, so we'll go there. Matthew chapter 9. And Jesus went. Went. Jesus went. He went. He was intentional about it. He went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. So yes, there is the gospel. Preach the gospel. But it continues. And healing every disease and every affliction. He's intentional about it. Guys, if we're going to talk about diversity, we've got to be intentional about it. And I can quickly see sin entering in here because some people are like you know what i just man this is a little bit too much for me i just want to chill let's just preach the gospel and see what happens no jesus went he went through samaria engaging with the samaritan woman he he went there they could have gone round he intentionally went he's hanging out sees zacchaeus in the tree what does he do what does he do Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. I'm coming. Intentionality. But let me not beat on my white brothers and sisters. And again, it's not all, but some. Let me talk about my black brothers and sisters. Because I can see a sin that can creep into here that will need the light to shine on it. I see too many of my brothers and sisters who are angry so angry that it leads to sin. It leads to sin because it's, no, we, we need diversity. We need to talk about it. We need to be intentional. And yes, maybe the one side of the room is going, oh, let's, just, let's just preach about it. It's like, how can we just preach about it? We need to engage as well. And so, and so they get angry. That anger leads to sin. And they end up going, you know what, I'm out. Can't do this anymore. I'm checking out. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. 
I'm tired. I'm tired of telling you. Listen, you, we need to talk about this. I'm tired of telling you. You need to read more. I'm out. I, ca- I can't anymore. See, here's the thing. I don't see Jesus doing that with us. I don't see Jesus doing that with us. Nowhere do I read where Jesus goes, what? Man, I, I keep telling you the same thing and you still walk into, you know what? I'm done. Show me, show me where in the scriptures, where that happens. Does he rebuke? Yes. Does he admonish? Yes. Does he encourage? Absolutely. But he never walks away. Jesus never walks away. And so passivity and and anger uh, entering into this space, we need to be aware of that. And so we need to constantly shine our light in those areas of darkness. We need to be bold enough to call one another out on those. Look, I'm okay with it when I see people who don't know Jesus doing that. It's like, okay, cool. I'm blown away. I'm blown away by those who call themselves Christians, who enter into those spaces, who allow that sin to grow in the house. In the house. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all that are in the house. The world is in desperate need of Jesus. So are we. So are we. Verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Jesus now reminds us, he goes back and he says, listen guys, this is why we do this. Why we salt and light? So that people might see our good works. So when people walk in here and they're like, I I don't get how you guys do this. Explain to me how you do this. Black folk, how are you patient? How do you do this? Because I'm I'm furious right now. How, How are you doing this? White folk, how are you entering into those spaces? Is it not uncomfortable? Is it not weird? You're not scared you're going to say something. And, and I always leave my colored folk out, but I feel like y'all are just always in the middle. It's like, where, where, like what, what do I do? Where, where do I go? But we need y'all. We need y'all. The world should look to the church and ask the question, how do you do this? And not just, not just diversity, but, but how do you enter into brokenness? How do you forgive? How do you love? How do you continue with joy when everything around you looks like it's falling apart? How do you do this? They should see our good works. But it shouldn't end there. It shouldn't end there. It should lead to them glorifying God. And so we're, we're like the finger just pointing to the sun. The focus should never be on the finger. If it ends on the finger, then we failed. People should look to the finger and go, what are you pointing to? Oh my goodness, the glory of God. That's where I need to be. Salt and light. Now, about 10 minutes. So what? What does that mean? What does that mean? Salt and light. Okay, cool. Really encouraging. What does that mean? What does that mean for, for us as a church, as a church plant, as a rooted fellowship, what does that mean for you individually? And, and I'll, 
I'll answer it by starting where, um, where I started last year when I came back from the U.S., right? Got to go to the, the U.S. to meet with some of our partners, um, did a few conferences or talks, and, um, and I was blown away by how many people are following what we're doing. Guys, look, I say a lot of stuff. I really do. Um, and, and some of the stuff I said because it sounds really, really cool. But to be honest, and I'm being honest, like I don't really believe it. Right? I'm just be, I'm being an open book to you guys. So I'll say stuff like this. Guys, I, I want us to be a transcultural community who loves Jesus in the city of Pretoria and beyond. Man, that sounds cool, right? You're like, you're sitting there going, yeah, I want to be a part of it. That's amazing. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know what, we'll probably just be a good neighborhood church. Right? Like, we'll maybe influence people. University of Pretoria, uh, just over the N1. That's about it. That's as far as we'll go. And this past trip, I felt what God was saying, no. No. I want to do something more with you. Remember, it's, it's not us. We didn't come up with the idea to plant a church. It's Jesus who says, I will build my church. And then he invites us to be a part of it. But, but he says, listen, if you will be obedient, I could do some pretty cool things. And so for the first time, I saw it. I mean, I'd seen the amazing things happen here. Again, you know, just our little neighborhood. But then to see what God is doing through you, through us. There were people, like, people would come up to me and be like, hey, listen, we've been following what you guys are doing on Facebook. And I'm thinking to myself, man, our Facebook, I mean, it's nice, but it's not like nice, nice. Like, you're following us? Like, and then, and then they would ask questions like, so tell me, how, how's it going? And I'm like, yeah, well, it's pretty cool, you know, diversity, and we're reflecting our city. We're still lots of, you know, so much more to do, but God is amazing. And it's like, okay, uh, we're a 150-year-old church. Can you help us? I, I'm like, wait, what? What? And that's not just, that's just not overseas, right? That's not just the U.S. Just even here in South Africa, I'm blown away. I'm blown away by what God is doing through you, through you, through your obedience and faithfulness. He takes a church in, in, in Johannesburg, BBC, who's one of our partners. They're about 1,200 people strong, about 96% white, doing amazing things. And they come and they go, listen, you need to help us figure this out. I'm like, man, I, I don't even know if there's a hundred of us. <laughs> He's like, but God is doing something through you guys. And so as you are learning in humility, I think God wants to do something with you guys. And so that made me think. That made me think as I went to this passage and I was like, okay, cool, God, I need to think bigger. Not us bigger, but you bigger. If you truly are up to something, then I need to understand what that means. And so it made me land on a few words that we find in this passage that makes me think about rooted fellowship, that makes me think about you guys, that I believe God is calling us not just to be rooted fellowship, but to be rooted fellowship, a city on a hill. He's calling us to be rooted fellowship, a city on a hill. Not because of what we've done, but because of what He has done in us and through us. And so we get to be on, on a hill with, with many others, many others throughout history who have faithfully been obedient to what God has called them to be. We get to do that in Pretoria for our city and really for beyond. 
But that's also made me think about how then we should talk about this. What is our motto? What is our goal? We're not just rooted fellowship, a city on a hill. But hear this. This is what I want our hope to be. Our hope is to see a world awakened to the wonder of God and His transcultural church. If you're trying to figure out where do we fit in, there's so many churches out there doing phenomenal things. They really are. They really are. Where do we fit in? God, what are you doing with us? We want to see a world awakened to the wonder of God and His transcultural church. 